do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Let's face it. Most of our food we consume, or let's say a big chunk of it, has been processed and comes in a container, a box, or a bottle. Of course, this depends on the household, but very few escape some kind of processing. Let's hope it's not ultra-processing. So how does this regenerative transition take place here? And how do you work in such a long value chain? From farmer to maker slash producer, to brand to retailer, and for sure I miss a few steps here. Today's guest makes a very strong case for radical transparency. What does the farmer make from this can of tomato sauce? What does the producer make? And what does the brand and retailer make? Couple this with a clear transition for the farmers involved. So from organic with heavy tillage towards no or low tillage and from no and low tillage with still some chemicals towards no chemical input and communicate this to the end consumer. This way you end up with a very compelling offer, radical transparency, and you as a consumer are part of the transition. You enable it and you get really good quality products for a fair price. Of course, this is not as easy as it sounds, and the journey from direct-to-consumer and then into retail hasn't been easy at all. But we're here to learn, so enjoy. This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities, and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, wear and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode today with Colleen, the co-founder of Omi and head of offer and sales. Welcome. Hello. And I think, I mean, start with a personal question. Now let's start with a personal question. <laughs> okay. Before we unpack Omi, I, I, I was ready to dive into that, but we're going to do that later. But I first want to um, ask a question I always like to ask at the beginning, um, or almost always. Sometimes we, we go off, off script, but not this time. Um, how did you end up into literally the regenerative food space? Because you are uh, you co-founded a company that literally is uh, very, very vocal about their regenerative ambitions. Um, but how did you end up co-founding that company in France? Um, actually, I've always worked in food and uh, I worked 10 years in food retail and I was like really surprised and sad no. no surprised and sad after um not to being able to talk to any um food engineer inside the space and every time i was uh, like really saying that we have the all the problems that we had was coming from the disconnection from the agricultural world and every time i was trying to push the subject it was like we don't know how to do this. We have no link. We have no knowledge. And we are not responsible, actually, for the ones that were really, really pushing. We have no interest. <laughs> we yeah. have no interest in the line. And so after 10 years, and, and even before that, I met a really regenerative farming through a big association in France called Pour une agriculture du vivant. So for a lively agriculture. And I began to Div, did to dive into agricultural uh, regenerative agriculture and I was like wow that's the key that's such a solution that's something that is really maybe making everything around and when I began to to talk about it inside our the retail company I was working for they were like we don't have a clue about what you're talking about what is soil what it has to do with food. And I was like, okay, I need to change. And so I leave everything and I say, okay, I need to find 
something else and 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 actually to build something else in order to to make some better products and it is what I know and it is what I, I love to do. It's to create food products and I know how to talk to hand customers. So I was like, okay, let's do this and let's create a brand. And what is the, like the, the, the fundamental of Omi is to like create regenerative uh, products. And like, how did you, I mean, one part is you, you know how to do that. And, but then this is probably one of the first. And when you started, probably the first um, brand focused on creating regenerative brands and products. So how did you, like, how did you figure out, okay, this is, um, worth a shot or this, this could make sense? I mean, apart from, of course, you visited the farmers and you thought, okay, this, these are amazing products or ingredients that could become something, mm-hmm. but then going to, okay, I'm going to build, uh, Omi and I'm going to, um, bring these products to market or create products out of it is quite a step. So did you do any global research or how did you convince yourself, okay, this is a, a path that, that makes sense? Um, and, and not setting up, for instance, a fresh marketplace and getting the products fresh off the farms or something like that. Like, why um, did you focus on the building the brand piece? Um, actually, there's several things. Uh, I uh, co-founded a startup before that was working on the quality of product, but maybe looking at the composition of product and uh, about to have an index about uh, processed food, uh, over-processed food. Um, and I've seen that you are really changing things by doing something and not doing advising and, and, and like, you know, giving advice to companies that you should do this. And I say, yeah, I think the best thing to do is to do it really. And uh, so that was the first thing. After I stopped my, my, my first company, I was like, okay, I need to really do something and to create products. And and after I met my other co-founders that, was, uh, that were aligned with the vision also. And so we decided to start um, OMI. And I think one, uh, one of my co-founders is really keen into to uh, branding, marketing, which is not really my field. So I was like, yeah, okay, we have something that can work. And so we began to uh, to build the brand. And really, if there is only one thing and what I would recommend to any entrepreneur, it's really do something, really make something. And it really helps to like really solve the problem because just giving advice, for example, for agriculture is not enough, I would say. Yeah, uh- and then what was the first step? Like, where did where do you start as soon as you say, okay, do something? There are a gazillion things you could be doing. And, and you started where exactly? <laughs> we started by making products. It was really, and, and I had the chance to uh, know quite well all the suppliers, what were the really good suppliers, because I met them in my life. And I just reached out to them and say, okay, I have this idea. We're going to build the first regenerative brand. And I'm pretty sure uh, you want to be part of it. So let's do this together and let's start by making some product. And so for a year, we've built like developing some product, actually 80 product. And when we launched OMI with 80 products, and along the way, eight zero, yeah, eight, zero wow. eighty, exactly. Wow. Um, and products like what? Because now we're getting into the OMI part. Like what kind of, when people imagine products, well, what um, what do you mean? It's really product you're using in your daily life, in your daily kitchen. It's ambient products. Uh, it's not fresh ones. So it can be a pasta, tomato sauce, olive oil. Uh, we also have some exotic lines like uh, chocolate, coffee, um, and uh, nuts. So it's really all the like Lisa, everything you're buying in your daily life in, in you can find in uh, supermarkets um, yes mainly and, and people order online or directly with you or at least at the beginning that was the, the only way we'll get into other channels soon and, and then how did you differentiated yourself from the online organic retail or, or things like that? How do you make sure yeah, you stand out? Because it's one thing to say we're going to build regenerative brands and it's another thing to communicate that and, and actually doing it. Yes, uh, we started only with a D2C, so direct-to-consumer with our own application and websites. Um, and uh, after we went uh, to retail, but we can talk more about it. Um, what was uh, our positioning really? Uh, it was to talk about the link with uh, with uh, the, the the farmers, and that we uh, we had 
we were helping them doing this transition towards a more sustainable agriculture. We didn't use directly regenerative farming. I think it's like after eight months, we're like, oh, yes, I think we need to pop up the name. We need to talk about this because we were a bit shy at the beginning because we say nobody is going to understand what it is regenerative products. And so we decided, I think it was end of 2021, 2021, that we decided to talk about regenerative farming. And uh, so that's the main difference with uh, organic um, organic uh, retail and organic brands. And also because we give all the details. We You have the full transparency about uh, who is earning what. So this is like a big asset for the customers. That's fascinating on the website. I will put the link below, but you can see exactly on every product, this little, this beautiful pie chart and, and who gets which part of the pie. Yes. And that's why, and also when, when you're doing your, your grocery and after at the end when you're paying, it's not uh, like a cashier ticket, a usual one. You will have all like in your 100 euros of, of, of grocery uh, um, tickets, you will have what is the part that go back to the farmers, which part go back to the makers and which go back to the logistic for OMI and what is our margin for OMI. So that was also a big, like a big thing for customers to can, to, to have, to be able to see this, this transparency. So that is really the making the big, for, big difference. It's really to give the whole context the contact to consumer and actually which is a massive thing like that i think we're gonna go into the transition as well so those two those two pieces feel like the main pieces here like look we're on a journey with our farmers and by buying through us from them uh, stuff that you cannot buy directly anyway it's not that the farmers are making the tomato sauce or the pasta like you need that producer the maker like you mentioned in the middle and then um the full transparency is who, who's earning what, uh, which I think has been experimented with also in um, in France with a consumer organization setting up, I think, also a brand around pasta and maybe a few other things, but on the package as well. Like it's not completely new, but it's yes. super radical. Like you just say, look, this is what we earn. This is what everybody else is earning, which is a bit scary for everybody else in this space because, of course, we in the food sector sort of lived by anonymity and, and commodity. So it's it's disrupting that for mm-hmm. sure. It's called Sekil Patron, I think what you're talking about, and they began with milk. We're the owner, yeah. 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 To really show. So there's there's a president at least, so it's not completely new. And those two things together, like the journey, the transition and the transparency uh, was enough to kickstart this. Like there were enough people interested in that or not just saying, okay, I will just buy my organic stuff and click somewhere else. That was enough to kickstart the B2C. Like people want that. Yes, apparently. exactly. It was like really the early adopters that really want to have the context about what they are eating. And also it was in... It was where the organic market really began to to decrease. And one of the main thing, apart from the price, was about to be able to have link with the person behind making the food and, and also cultivating the land. So I think we arrive at this right moment where like really consumers want to have more context about what they are eating. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Yeah, because... The organic market in France has been suffering. Mm, yes. um, I think many, quite a few European countries, of course, inflation costs, etc. But you're saying there's a deeper layer there um, where you just don't know where it comes from. It comes from organic agriculture in the EU, or if you're lucky, it says in France or in a specific country. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Like you have no idea who, where, how, let alone what he or she has been making um, uh, in terms of money. And so that you arrived at the right timing, which pretty much is everything in entrepreneurship timing and in investing as well. And and so B2C that, that's been growing, of course, that is quite an investment or quite a, um, um, a strong, you, you need quite a bit of logistics and infrastructure. You're not shipping fresh stuff, no. so that already helps, but you need an amazing website and an amazing app. Otherwise you're, you're dead in the water immediately and quite a bit of logistics. Um, and so that, when did you launch that and how did that go like the first 12 months or so? Uh, we began OMI in 2019, end of 2019. 
Great timing. Great timing. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then there were COVID in 2020, but we had planned to work on the product. So we were really, it was more like when the COVID uh, hit, we were like, can we start more quickly? Because everybody was ordering online. But we were like, we can't because we don't have the product. So, uh, ah. but it was also... Yeah, it's a great time because you have seen that the, the food problem and what we call like this word of food resilience was completely unknown from um, general public that really came like a key subject in every like info news for six months. And um, and so it was reinforcing the project. So we were like, okay, we have to like keep on doing it. I think the first seed money was quite hard because it was during COVID. So all like the funds, VC funds, they were like a bo- bit more scared and say, we have to protect our like first, the, the investment we made before making some new ones. And because it's an unknown word, it was an unknown word. Um, um, but after it, uh, it really, it really, it really helped concerning like really the focuses on on what is the issues of our food system, and to be known by everybody. And so we worked for a year to uh, source the product. And so, as I said, we sourced 80 products and also to have the first layers of methodology with the farmers. So how do you do the food traceability with the farmers? How do you onboard them? What type of diagnosis do you lead? Uh, so I was saying that I met Pour une Agriculture du Vivant that had what they call a regenerative index. And so uh, we were like, okay, we're going to work in collaboration with with them and use it with the farmers that we have identified in order to have like a first to have a third party first because you need some proof we were what really motivate us with with uh, what is what we is as identified as really key for regenerative um i said ecosystem is to have proof uh, which is super important so we are quite like really focused on proof so um, being able to have a diagnosis about what is regenerative and what is not regenerative and how you can evaluate it was quite super important that what is there was a lot of work for the first year uh, building this um, and then we launched because we were like really keen about like we need some first result we need to see how it's working what we need to adjust and so we launched in uh uh, 2021, uh, February 2021. Uh, and with, uh, I would say, no marketing or low marketing. So we say, yeah, we're going to put this in the market. It's going to work. We, we have seen that it was quite slow at the beginning. So uh, then we say, okay, we need to get more we need to we have more stronger on marketing and digital marketing. Everything has to do with acquisition. So whole like the like what we love in D2C markets. <laughs> so, and after we have built like really a, a digital marketing team to be able to uh, touch more customers and also to see what type of, of type of type of media we need to touch and what type of communication also, um, which is challenging. I think it's, it's, it, let's be honest that the reg, to, to create a category like we are doing, like regenerative product for end customers is really it's a it's a real challenge to make it uh, understandable not to give too much information but just the, just the right context so they understand oh that's better for me that's better for the world and that's that's a good price because we have we really want to have like some really good price at omi we are not the cheapest we will never be the cheapest but we are talking about what is a fair price and giving the full transparency about the price is helping customers to understand, ah, I understand why my uh, tomato can is not costing below one euro, as you can see in supermarket, but it's more costing maybe two euros. Um, I'm sp- like here is example with, the, so yeah, with yeah. tomato yeah. because we're more about 20 to 25 person higher than a private label that a classic pirate mm-hmm. label. Um, so, but this is helping to understand what is the price of food, which is, I think, a big battle if you want to have a better agricultural system. And food system is really to say, okay, maybe our food system, as the food we are buying today, is too cheap. 
and having been able to explain that, of course, you have space on, on the website, but yeah, to, and then still have people um, buy it is, is, a, is, is not an easy feat. And, and how did you fund that those first years basically of, of research and then launch, like how easy, because I'm imagining you raised some funding. I don't know uh, how much you had in your back pocket in your own wallet, but I'm imagining you raised a bit and, and just assuming that how easy was it to, to raise some angel funding, I'm guessing for, for that first bit to launch. Of course you had experience and your co-founders as well, but to launch that um, into in, in building a new category. I don't think investors are too keen on that normally. So how was that experience? Um, first, we can put really a small amount of money from our pocket, but really it was like few, uh, like maybe I started you 40K, really for the beginning and um, and to work between the four co-founders because we are four co-founders. So it's a, it's luck also uh, because we have like, a, you have people working for free as a co-founder at yeah. the beginning. Um, and then we actually the first person we hire was an agricultural uh, um, agronome or agricultural engineer sorry uh, called Thibaut Chausset because my key um, really uh, the thing I've understood after 10 years of, um, of of classical retail is that the main problem is coming from the deconnection between agriculture and the food retail and that we need so that connection had to be good it, like you cannot yeah. exactly mm-hmm. and you have to find for me I always take this example that it's two wheels working not at the same speed the retail wheels is going super fast you have like new trends you have the impact of TV shows anything and it's like like in an hour even now in millisecond on the internet and you have the agricultural world that is more like a annual or 10 years time to change things. You, so you have to find this, the things going to help these two words to talk to one another. So that's why like really the agriculture ground over me had to be super strong. And so that's why the first person to join us um, was, was a, a agricultural engineer. Uh, and so that's, we found, we, we paid it with our own money at the beginning. And then we did a seed round. Um, it was with uh, mainly some business angels and we raised about, um, it was, I think it was around seven, uh, 700,000 euros. And then we had a, a fund that joined uh, this seed round of business angel to do a million, which was a Xange Cyberhex that reinvested in our Serie A also. So, and, and after with this million, we're like, okay, so we can kickstart the beginning. We can like have a small team around. We can have some money for buying the goods or so. <laughs> paying pay your farmers that would be yeah, exactly. yeah. or your, and your producers for making the tomato sauce and the pasta yeah, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and packaging and yeah, these important things. Um, and And then... I mean, you're, you're, you already mentioned how difficult or challenging it is, of course, B2C. It always sounds nice. I just put up a website and then uh, people come in and, and they buy everything, et cetera, which is obviously never the case. Mm-hmm. Um, was the B2B and the retail side always part of the plan or was it also at some point necessity or like you said, okay, there, there is an opportunity there to, to disrupt further through the quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. Nobody sees that. Um, quote unquote classical retail or how did that come, come about? Um, it's appeared, uh, actually as uh, quite in, in naturally, uh, because we, uh, we had a lot of, uh, retail brands that reached out to us. Say, okay. We want to dispute your, your product and we have a big advent. Weren't they scared of by, uh, by like the, the radical transparency you have? Like if they put it or they, they didn't realize it maybe until they have it in their shops. Yeah. yeah. Actually, they were quite interested. So the really the early adopters, they were like, yeah, it's super interesting and it's great. And, and after it's always a question about how you share the, 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 the margin between one another. So that's, that was good questions. Um, and then we've seen, okay, it's working pretty well. It's allowing us to be in different, uh, touch point for the customers. And also it was a big, also thing that we've seen that um, in order to change the way consumer like um, behavior of consumer is super hard is super long and in France and I don't know and I think it's globally the same figure all around the world but 95% uh, of, of consumer do their grocery shopping through classical retail so you have to 
you cannot be double disruptive coming with a new category and saying, okay, I'm going to have... Uh, you're not starting your own stores. <laughs> uh, that would be the next step. Yeah, 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 yeah. because this is, you're trying to peel up different, uh, different like functions and we are already super far into like the agricultural world, like doing the full traceability. Uh, also, um, how to use transition with the agronomical team and also doing the distribution and the tech team and the, and all the product we are designing so at the end you need to stop and choose where you're good at so and we decided not to open stores and pick your battles yeah, yeah exactly pick our battle and also to be like to maximize our touch point because the mission of Omi is to make regenerative farming something that is a common known and that really makes sense so um, going to retail was quite like obvious for us and, and how do you approach that then how do you I mean, because some of them, of course, reach out and then you have a conversation about margins. And then do you remember the first one that started, like the first time you were in a in a retail shop somewhere in, instead of, uh, again, quote unquote, only only online? Like, how did that come about and, and what did you learn? Um, yes, it was about the transparency and we really needed after. Um, now, when you scan a product, because we are we have a QR code on our product, you if you don't have the app, so you are not an OMI customer, you arrive on a page of the product where you're going to find what is the part for the farmer, what is the part for the maker, and what is the part for a regenerative transition. Because we uh, are giving to a farmer's project one person our turnover whether if it's made directly or it's, if it's made through selling product to retail. So, and this is working. Actually, people and customers, they, as I was saying, they want the context and the context important for them is what the farmers is earning and what the maker is earning. And that's it. That's the, that's the biggest thing they want to know. After what is in between, it's quite complicated. The logistic, ta, ta, ta. You can give some context. Again, but numbers is not helping. And, and, you see that many people do that because I think many have, or some others have QR codes and we've had these links on things. And if you want to know, et cetera, um, I always wonder how many people actually do that. Do you have an understanding? Do you, can you see that? Like, okay, how, what's the percentage of people in a shop? I think you sell through Decathlon and some others that they say, okay, I'll buy this tomato sauce. I would just keep buy, talking about the tomato sauce, but, or any other product and I'll actually scan. Like what's the, the interest in that? That's a good question. It's not a lot. I think it would be one five out of uh, one out of five. Okay, but it's still a lot. Yeah, twenty percent is is significant. We were we were quite convinced that everybody is <laughs> going to scan the QR code, and what we have uh, really figured out is that people they are going to look at one product. They're going to look at the transparency. And then they trust yes, the rest. Yes, exactly. And so the, the cashier tickets that you have at the end, the digital one on OMI, and with all the transparency is like, okay, I, I understand. So now I can, I can give my trust. We were often saying that we were building a, a shield brand. So to protect consumer and customer. And so I think it's, how consumer really be having they don't want to have the full information and check everything some but not yeah, yeah. it's not mainstream and do you see there's crossover i don't know what the official word is but like say i, I buy something in in a physical retail and and like does it help your online sales as well or is are they sort of two different worlds like most people as you said still buy or still they might continue to buy um, in physical shops and or do you see like oh i love this product and, and let me find out uh, where i can get it directly is that a strong pool or is it actually you know, let's say two two very separated wo worlds with a wall between mm, it's interesting i say um, it's still hard to to really record the mix so how they can mix yeah, of course yeah. um and still we can see that as uh, we can see customers that are, are getting the subscription to our newsletter to have more information but is this, as I was I was saying they it's hard to change a routine so so yeah. anybody that ever tried any routine <laughs> tell you, yeah. how many people are meditating every day I'm not blaming you but still exactly so I would say it's more it's more like, yeah, it's they can have some switch, but maybe they're not changing their routine and they're more looking for special information. Or when they're buying, they were like a retail customer and they buy online, maybe because they're going in vacancy and they're in their holiday house and they get they do a big basket uh, online and to get 
the delivery quite super far from a city center. So it would be more use case like this, but not we're not switching all like, oh, they know me and now I'm switching online. No, no, I understand. And then let's dive into the transition part because you have a beautiful slide in your deck. Uh, which sort of maps in four quadrants the different farmers you're working at, at that time. Sorry, the deck is, is over a few months ago. Um, I think with 230 farmers for sure, that's way more. Yeah. Uh, but can you walk us a bit through, because you said it has to be real on the farming side. It has to be. That's why the first hire out of my own pocket, out of our <laughs> own pocket, I was an agronomist or an, a farming engineer to really make sure that connection, uh, because if that's not there, of course, you're going to be exposed at some point and the whole thing just comes down. Um, so how did you um, start that process? Of course, you knew a few farmers, you knew a few processors. And then what did that lead? How did that lead into this, this nice map where you say, okay, all our farmers are on a journey and, and they are, we have mapped them, um, in terms of, of where they want to go. And, and, um, but that of course doesn't start like that. It starts with, okay, we need to make this product. How do we, how do we get enough into, into a factory to, to make the tomato sauce, just to keep repeating the tomato sauce? Um, how did you start that process and, and what was in your mind and what is there now? Um, actually was what really is, moving us what is driving us at omi it's to be part of the trans like the, the farming transition and the regenerative transition so in this uh this um slide that you're talking about was a way to explain what is really the regenerative revolution if i can phrase it that way because it's not binary it's not you are regenerative or you're not regenerative that you are in a journey and that we need also to offer a new canvas for um farmers where they were always like but oh no you are not like fitting into this box so you are not part of what we want to do it was really to explain that it's it's a transition that we are part of it and as that there is really diverse way to do this transition and to uh, go towards regenerative farming practices so um, and how we did it it was really in different ways we all oh, we were meeting some farmers and had they had raw materials and we had to find the good food supply chain to, to transform it or to makers that was really also uh, activists be, like for a long time ago and I think in France we are super lucky because we have a lot of really good makers that are into their territory that are always looking to do some trying to find some local supply chains and and also to make uh, to value Valorize what they were doing because their biggest problem was like if they were coming to classical retail chain and they didn't have the whole marketing around it or like okay nice you are just doing doing capasta sauce and that's it I don't understand the rest but here our role was really to bring the whole marketing to maybe like the coated sugar around the product if I can say that you know to make it visible so um, it came like this it's really like as I was saying trying to do re really do the reconnection through the whole uh, food supply chain where you can see that it's a super separate world and it's separate world vertically and horizontally so it's really containing what you are doing but also how what is your size and this is really making a super like uh, word that is difficult to move and also where the different um, parties are not talking to one another. And, and so just let, let's describe the, the quadrant or the, the, the slide visually as we're in an audio medium. Um, so if you had to describe it to, to the audience, because it's also something you've used and I think people can learn uh, from that, um, especially also on the fundraising side to explain to people uh, what is this weird thing that regenerative is and why is it not a thing? Why is there not a certification? Why is there not a test? Um, why is it not a zero or one binary, like you said? So this, this is a, 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 with basically four quadrants. Can you describe the four and, and how you're working with farmers to, to move, let's say, to the upper right one? Upper right, uh, where exactly. Yeah. Um, so you have to imagine that uh, you have an horizontal axis 
That is, uh, if you are tilling the ground or not. So zero, you are tilling the ground. One, you are not tilling the ground. What made you choose that that specific one? I completely understand, but why? Because there must have been there must have been a conversation about okay, what's going to be on the horizontal axis? Um, I think it was discussion with Puhun Agriculture de Vivant and how we can mm-hmm. really have some images that can convey the message we were also saying with words, but visually, which is super important if you want to convince people, okay, they're going to remember this map and they can even talk about it like you are. Oh, okay, if you had to really explain what is regenerative farming, let me draw a map and I can explain what is regenerative farming and that is not, it's not, it's not my binary, where is organic farming? And you can also place different certificates or different movements that is, it's quite like, Populate. I would say yeah, there's like this crowded, and to place it on the map and explain what is regenerative farming and also regenerative farming is something that is built bringing some a currency and also is um, in, including different movement and organic is in is into regenerative farming also um, and so sorry I interrupted yes. you so under horizontal, horizontal uh, access, access. soil conservation exactly. I have it in front of me and no tilling. and no telling so there's of course from yeah a lot of tilling which is conventional all the way down to uh, no tilling and it's 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 a continuum you'll be you'll be somewhere there nobody is uh, uh, is perfect in in that sense and and so that's the horizontal one and the vertical one is if you're um using some um uh, pesticide insecticide fungicide agricultural yeah. thank you um and so when you have this map you can say that so uh, organic uh, farming so more like if you want to comply to the certificate of organic farming it's on the upper right uh, upper left side sorry and if you are belonging to uh, conservation uh, practices in more on the uh, right downsides um so the no-till but not certified organic because of course there are quite a few organic farmers that's that because of the the fact that they don't use agrochemicals uh, they, they till feel the, the need or yeah. they need they need to till a lot yeah, yeah. exactly that was also i'm super careful about the the words i use it's about like really if you want to have the organic certificate you're here but you can see that many of the pioneer of regenerative farming, they're coming from the organic world, uh, but also they began everything at the same time because they were convinced that, yes, yeah, the ground has to be lively, that you don't have to till too much the ground. And they have been developing really different practices that are the ground of regenerative farming. So it's really, in French, we have a little different with the pronouns le, le bio and la bio, but in English, it's a bit harder to explain. Um, and so after when you have this quadrants, you can uh, wh- where is regenerative farming? So regenerative farming will be in the upper right uh, quadrant. And then here you can see that you have different paths to regenerative farming. You can come from a classical organic farming and you are tilling a lot of the ground and you can see that you have problem of erosion and also about yield. Okay, and you can turn towards oh, how what can I do with my soul? How can I cover my soul? And you are moving from the upper uh, left to the upper right. Uh, but also you can come from uh, soil conservation and you have massive problem with chemicals because you are super sensitive to the subject and you see you need to use less. And also to and how you... Uh, still have a, a lively soil and you don't touch it, but you can use different techniques not to use some chemical entrant. And then you're going from the far right, the down part to the other part. Yeah. And, and how do you help them with that? Because I, I think many would love, but then um, usually they don't find, first of all, a retailer um, or anybody buying from them that really cares. Uh, they just care if you have a certain certification or the lowest price possible. Um, I'm, I'm saying talking about the, the 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 organic side. I mean, I don't think many ask a question beyond that. Like, what are you doing with your soil? Okay, you're certified organic. That's it. And and on the conventional side or on the conservation side, I don't think anybody also asks questions on on quality. Maybe certain KPIs are important, but that's pretty much it. So they come to you and maybe a bit skeptical as well. And and then you say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna help you to to move if you want. Um, and and 
how do you approach that? I think the first thing is to put them, to localize them on this quadrant <laughs> because yeah. it's quite a new one. Do, do you do that or do you do it with them or do they? Because I've, I've seen people use like the map of, of Ethan Solovyev, which has like the different practices and they can be very degenerative and very regenerative. And I've known people send that to farmers as well and said, okay, just map yourself on all these different things, on inputs, on seeds, on um, fertilization, on et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you get a pretty good map. But how do you, like you sit at the kitchen table and, and you um, print this thing and then you do it with them or how does it work? Exactly. It's the diagnosis we are using. So when you're, um, actually we have a first set of question when we are like trying to come, beginning eration with the like food? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What do you eat for breakfast? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Exactly. And then after, okay. You can be part of or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's really through the, the, the regenerative index that we are using with a set of questions to understand where they are. And then after we plan a visit um, on the farm and to be able to do the full diagnosis with a third party and to able to have a, actually, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mark between zero to 100. Actually, the most pioneers, the most advanced ones are around 85 over 100 points so it's quite wow. super strict okay. and uh, we uh, so it's pour une agriculture de vivant that has settles that you can talk about being regenerative if you are more than 40 points so you can mark oh, wow. different points yeah. in different areas and so you can localize first for, for, for some farmers they haven't heard about what is regenerative or heard of it but they were like okay but nobody is understanding it uh, and 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 so you are putting a word. So maybe other terms they use is like agroecology. Exactly. I mean, there are of course, many language things here because this is very English and you're in France, which is a very different country in terms of language. And of course, you're in Spain and if, in Italy as well, etc. Many, I think many pioneers either haven't heard the word or, or didn't really pay attention to it because they don't feel connected to it. So here you come like, oh, there's another word for you. And like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it's a, it's a weird, but that's not the point. The point is, of course, the 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 strict questions and then a score out of it and then you can do whatever you want with it if you want to call yourself regenerative you can if you don't it's also fine it doesn't change because you want that that score and you want to understand where they are yeah and and i think so the first thing is to localize them on the quadrant them to explain what also what is the way uh, they can uh, what is the solution they can apply and also what is the solution they want to apply it's more um we offer them solutions and they have, they can find the solutions they want to build, they want to try it, because we don't want to say, okay, you have to do it. We are not like really, we, they know better their the lens. Is there a minimum score? You is that the minimum is forty yeah. as well? You use for 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 farmers to start supplying to. Um, so it depends really on the what is their journey, uh, what they are doing, and sometimes it can be under forty, but they really are making some incredible progress for the last years. So we know that they're going to evolve super quickly, and. We have the chance to be able to monitor this because we are coming back um, to see the farms. We come back to do some uh, new diagnosis every year. So we can follow also how they're moving through the quadrant. And if they're like really into transition, what we ask them for, it's really to keep on moving and to keep on trying uh, to be able to join uh, the right part of the quadrant. We have some rules that sometimes when we see it's like really is stationary, it's not evolving, it's really some key things like use of uh, chemicals. We we have to cut some, some relationships and we say, okay, it's not the thing is not the way you want to uh, go through. So maybe we need to change and we have some, some tough discussion sometime also, which is part of the game. Yeah, of course. If, if everybody, if, if you can join, but you never, never leave, then then it's it's not strict enough. And then you have a percent of, of revenue you mentioned. How is that being deployed at the moment? Like how? Sorry, part two things. How do you help them in the transition? Like, do you do long term um, agreements? Are you paying more? I mean, we know what you're paying because you can see the transparency. Are you sort of per per bottle of something or yeah. per package? Um, is that significantly more or is it more in general compared to if they sell to somebody else? Is that a nice incentive to keep moving? Um, is it a long-term relationship that you can offer? Of course, your startups are long-term means different <laughs> things. Like we, we hope you're around for a bit. And um, like, how do you incentivize um, uh, farmers to to continue their journey? Um, so yes, you mentioned it. It's one person, 
our turnover that we are giving back to a farmer's project. And also we are launching um, a project, the dotation fund slash association, which, which is called Livelyers, in order to make the regenerative farming known and to find even more money uh, on the philanthropy markets and to really increase the size of what we are doing at OMI. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be independent also because it cannot be OMI leading all the way. It has to be a third party again. Mm -hmm. um, so it's one of the biggest projects that we have for this year. Um, and back to, you were talking about maybe fair prices. Are we paying fair prices to the uh, farmers and to the makers? Um, it's really, uh, we uh, launched uh, by uh, asking them the price with the division between what is the price of a room materials and what is the price of like packaging and 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 uh, the um, the manufacturing side in order to have a vision about what is the structure of price and as we has began with a lot of transparency um it helped to have fair price because we can really understand what is happening and we have some discussion about some products that we are not doing because it's really too far from the market price and sometimes we cannot explain it It's like pickles. In France, we are super fan of pickles, but also yeah. because they're like grown in India now and nobody knows it. But that's why they're super, like, they're really cheap. But if you want have to have a cucumber, so it's the base of, of pickles from France, it's like five times the price. So you need to find ways. And it was like, maybe we're not going to launch speakers like this year because the price is so difficult to understand for the end customers that we need to go through different steps before mm -hmm. talking about that. Um, so mainly transparency is a way to have fair price because you know, um, you as we have the link with the farmers and we are uh, beginning to sign some long-term contracts, so it's three-year contracts, so the volume we will buy, we have the price of what, is uh, uh, the price of one kilo of apple, of regenerative apple. And so when you are doing a apple puree, you can do the math in order to know if the price of the raw materials is according to what you have buy to your farmers. So, and more and more we are growing and more and more we have datas. And so we can share with uh, the whole supply chain and in, in order to have really fair price. And, and do you like on average, I mean, it's difficult to say, but are you, I imagine you're paying more um, or you end up paying more when you ask a fair price compared to the, the general retail. Um, like, do you communicate that as well? Like we're paying 10% more, 20% or you say it's just too complicated. We just communicate what we pay in terms of percentages or in terms of actually the, the price of this bottle of, of the product. And, and that's the level we, we can go to now but not like the kilo of tomato, because of course it doesn't translate exactly to to an end product, which is difficult to do. I mean, if you have a fresh marketplace, it's very different because it's the same product that moves X minus the waste. Um, so how, how do you approach that price transparency or, or do you make any claims on that? So it's different communication. It fits a communication to end customer. I would say the communication to end customer is really the transparency. It's the best way to explain whatever you want to explain because it's like, If we were underpaying the farmers, underpaying the makers, they really, they were, I, I think they would refer, refuse to have the transparency. And here they're not because it's a fair price yeah. and it's it's a good price of a product. And the second thing I would say, it's a figure, uh, inflation. So inflation, the impact of inflation this year uh, in OMI was less than, four, less than 5%. And the, the global market was over 15%. So wow. I think it's, When you have this figure, you can understand everything. Um, having fair price has protected us from a big increases. And because there were a phenomenon of catching up. So you became cheaper. Yeah. Compared to the rest, yeah, yeah. It, it, because everything moved also, yeah. so it was uh, yeah we began like quite like good value for money, and um, and also the, the the good thing is or mainly what we can figure out is that more you are pressurizing your suppliers and makers, the more when they have the capacity to do like a. A catch up so they said okay we can increase our prices because everybody's increasing the prices they will do it um but in our case it was more it's us is a collaboration and we have this full transparency we we had really like good conversation and we're like commonly into the subject of what is a fair price and what is a good price for omi customers and for omi retailers so it brought some stability also to have 
uh, like really, I would say, stable and, and transparent communication. And, and what does the future bring, like with your experience now in retail? Um, I mean, of course, your experience before in retail, but now with, with Omi, do you feel like that's the, is, is it going to be 50-50, 80-20 compared to, to B2C? Where do you see the biggest uh, growth potential um, for, for these kind of products? Um, today is 50-50. Uh, we can see that there is like really a, um, a big potential uh, with retail, but also everything that has to do with the hotel, restaurant and institutional. Um, for example, we have our regenerative apple puree in every train in France and it's working pretty well. So there is like, it's there's just for people outside your like there are restaurants and trains in many <laughs> yeah. places and then it's not that everybody gets it like on their seat but yeah that's uh, it's an interesting market because it's a massive yeah people forget like the institutional market institutional meaning everything big from hospitals to train companies airplanes and, and all of that uh, offices obviously it's uh significant okay yeah, yeah. and then so it's 50 50 already yeah wow. and and maybe it's going to be a, a curve that is not uh, linear and that is going to be 70 and after 80. And I, I think also the market will change. Uh, so we might be a surprise about how the D2C is going to behave. Um, but I still think like really like the gross potential of UMI is through uh, retail and everything that has to do with also other places where you can buy some product. And has that changed, like the retail world, because you come out of that space and you were frustrated and not happy as we started this interview. Um, I mean, we started this interview with your your feeling of frustration and unhappiness within that space and trying to change things. Um, has that changed or are you just working with different players or different uh, different people as well? Or the interest, the discussion on soil, nutrients mm-hmm. and, and transparency, etc. Has that shifted? Or have you created a, a nice but different bubble? Actually, the world is shifting and the retail is also now more sensitive about regenerative farming because they have been in touch, I would say, more through uh, B2B events or through different things. So they are getting some interest about this. It's also a matter of um, how do they find some new growth has like uh, in organic uh, organic market are going down. And but they, there is a key interest about the context of our food and customer want to know who is behind and to have transparency about what they put in their plate. And as is that the main value of me is transparency is this link with agriculture. There is a real interest. Uh, so it's, it's put us in a different situation in order to uh, talk about like place in store prices and kind of stuff. But also the retail market is super different. You have really, we separated a bit in two words, the small B and the big B. So small business and big businesses. And we want to address also the small businesses. And it will be a bit like close to the D2C market because it's, it's, it's really higher baskets, but it's really when you have one grocery uh, or you have a one coffee shop that kind of stuff and it's really good it's a really good market in order to have really different touch points and you and also like uh, owners of epiceries are really also keen to have more story about their products which is like we have a lot of context and we have a lot of content so that's why we are not we don't want to build a brand that is uh, completely dependent on retail because I know the risk I'm, I've worked more than 10 years in this world and I know them quite pretty well. Um, but I, I truly believe they can change. Uh, but you have also small businesses. And as I was saying, there's a whole, the whole market of hotel, restaurant and institutional that give us like a resilient portfolio. So that's that really is the strategy of OMI to build this and to still have this D2C heart because it's giving, it's feeding us with a lot of information and feedbacks about like, what do you understand of me? What you're buying, rebuying? What would you like us to develop? Which is like a community we are feeding through the D2C. And a few questions I always like to ask. Um, let's say we're doing this this interview live at a, at a big impact investing or a big investing conference. 
uh, could be changed now or, or something else in, in Paris, but or, or in London and on stage. And the room is full of, of investors, either with their own money or with the investing other people's money. What would you be, of course, without giving investment advice, but what would be your main message for them to take home um, on, on the journey you've been on so far with Omi? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I would say um, it's really to for them to dig dig in, keeping in mind that it's a full chain. If you're only working on one vertical, you don't have the really the full information about how you can uh, really go into the untapped potential. It's quite a complex market, and it's super hard only to think by vertical. You have to to really understand the full supply chain and how, what is the dependency between each players. That's why often it's seen a war is something for experts. And it's, and it's right. So they have more to have like good canvas, good understanding of retroactions of the different players. And switching the, the position a bit, let's say you're in charge of a big fund of, of about a billion euros and, and you have to invest it. So it needs to be put to work, but it could be very long-term investments. It could absolutely be decades and more, um, which it's not the time we have, but still. Um, what would you focus it on? I'm not asking for exact investment amounts, of course, but I'm asking what would you prioritize? Where would you put your your time and energy if your, let's say, money resources are, are pretty much limitless? Mm. Um, I would say really what I would do, it's really to cover the, the whole food supply chain uh, to create a network. What we really need is to align interest in food. But really, like the biggest the main issue that we have is with that we don't have aligned interests. And that. And would it be specific products you start with? If you have, uh, because now you, of course, started, you said, okay, we, we did a number of products that also we can explain in terms of, of, of pricing. And so maybe not pickles this year, et cetera. But if you didn't have that limitation and you had uh, a lot of time and, and resources, would there be maybe other products that you feel like, okay, we really need to make a big step in that. Like these are the products I would, or the, the supply chains I would focus on, or would it be similar to what you're doing now with Omi? Um, I would say it's to have really also the, ad cust the end customer uh, part, because this will help you to define what is the product you need to develop, what is the right supply chain, if it's a fresh supply chain, a frozen supply chain, if it's a ambient one. And to and as I was saying, like to align interest is quite important because you can have all like uh, the upper part of the chain that is super aligned, but at the end you have product that is not meeting a market. So, and I think the biggest issue, and now when you're talking to different um, players into regenerative, is really that distribution is a big black spot um, because it's super hard to understand. So if you had 1 billion investment portfolio, I would align all, all the interest and also like also looking at the end market and, and how you're doing the distribution. It could be through the alignment of like uh, classical players or having your own stores or your own distribution. But yeah, and, and it's clear what is, uh, is, is, uh, it's lacking. And to have a, a community that you, where you can provide the full transparency. So I think if you're among a, a, an investment portfolio, you can begin to really align interest on this. So really double clicking on that vertical integration and, and having the consumer and a large group of consumers part of that, because otherwise you can invent all kinds of interesting things. Yep. And, and there it ends sort of there because nobody buys it. Um, and what if you had the magic power? I'm, I'm guessing it might have something to do with transparency, your answer, but it could be something completely different. Um, if you had a magic wand and you can change one thing overnight in food and agriculture, uh, what would it be? Um, really, it would be first, I think it would be like, um, some, um, common agricultural policies are really to, um, to have a big impact on how you can accelerate something in Brussels yeah, and Paris, regenerative yeah. transition, <laughs> but something more simple. Um, it would be first to have a different accounting system that can take out the price of transition of the price of the product. We have done it for some, but this is really helping to say, okay, if you, we, we want to have food that is at a good price and that can address to a mainstream market, what is the effort we need to make and what is the, the amount of money we need to find to really 
like really pays its transition. Okay. And you said you've done it with like, do you have an example? Yes, it's with mustard. Uh, we have worked because it was important. There was yeah. a big crisis of mustard because mainly all the mustard grains are farmed in Canada and no more in France. And the moutarde de Dijon in, Fran- in France is super important. And so we had some with your pickles. Yeah, with yeah. our pickles. <laughs> so you started with the mustard <laughs> and the pickles are next. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, so mustard. And so we. How do you bring that back? And so <laughs> we uh, have been able to take out the price as a transition. So all the like really. What is the cost of transition? You know, in a one ton of uh, mustard uh, seeds, and what is the price in one kilogram of mustard? And to be able to take it from the price and to pay it through the one person that we are giving back to the farmers, and not putting into the price paid by the head and hand customer, which has allowed us to have a good French. 100 French mustard to the end customer and not having like a luxury products. And I do believe that if we can really accelerate has it. Has it worked? As yes. in, has, has people been buying Yes, it? exactly. Uh, it's like a, one of our best products. So it's a, it's a big product because really like the price is still accessible. And so this is a really a way to be able to finance it. It's a real like concrete solution. And you could find, like you said, like this foundation where the 1% is going into, um, of course, a startup, you cannot do everything mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, but there will be a foundation this year that, that it can attract other money as well. You can say, look, we want to transition grain for like durum wheat for pasta. We want to bring it back from, from Canada and, and uh, where it's being dried with glyphosate <laughs> and, or we want to, um, like, do the tomato side or we want to do specific ones that you see that that gap is is big but you could finance it elsewhere basically transition finance and then you can meet the customer where not that there is no customer for the luxury product but they're way less which means you're not really helping um, uh, enough hectares to transition no actually basically. there is a lot of market on philotropic market or even government subsidies and we can and also is this completely independent for omi it's like a, and you can just show yeah. it like look if we do this this is the result. We'll sell this. And it, then after that, it continues by itself because yeah. the market has been a lot. And also, we, if we can see with a, like a, a politic highs, because right now there is a big debate, like the, the uh, economic minister of France is asking all the, retail, the, the food brands to go to go back to the negotiation table with retail company to lower the price. It, we can like think about something else. Like, okay, if we want to still have high environmental state product and and have lower price, what is a way? And this could be a way to say, okay, we need this pocket of money in order not to decrease our standard, environmental standard, and have a good price. This could be a really good way to think about things because when I'm hearing this kind of, uh, of statement, I'm like, it's crazy. It's not the right way. We don't need to lower again the price of food. We need to give back really the value of food. And so it can be also a good way to do it. Um, if I can understand, can be understandable. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And um, when you're in your... Um, I wouldn't say your bubble, but let's say you go to, or actually when I love to ask this question, John Kempf um, on, on his podcast always asks on where do you think differently or uh, what do you believe to be true about regenerative agriculture or agriculture in general that others don't. But I like to make it more specific. Like if you're with, uh, like, let's say you're regenerative farmers or with the retailers, like in your own bubble or also in OMI as a company, where, where do you think differently? Where do you think contrarian? Um, like out of anything, um, I truly believe that um, it's also a way to have a product with a higher nutrient density. We were speaking about it a bit before. I'm pretty convinced about it. So it's like, but it's in my own bubble and, and I have, we still have like low proof about this, but I'm convinced about this. And I think it's the key to also like bring um, widely to widely spread regenerative because I think people will also like hand customer will understand why we have to do it and because they also have an interest into it and that also it make and after they will understand that it's quite it's a, as I was saying it's a round system it's the the concept of one else that I think you've been talking about with Pervel in as a podcast absolutely and and do you see that you're like let's say in, in a year or two we we talk again 
and in your um in your quadrant there's almost a third dimension where farmers are also mapped on on the outcome so the nutrient density of their food do you think we'll, we'll get there and not just not just it's not easy at all but the the, the tilling side and the organic side do you think we we're going to add the nutrient side to that maybe first internally um as a as a metric of uh, of success or not yeah clearly i think it's 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 a big difference in in what we what is into the regenerative uh, system is that we are evaluating what are the outcomes of this agriculture. So now it's more um, like the quality of the soils, um, the carbon. Which is an outcome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like an and, but I think this one will be also something you can communicate it super clearly to can be like restaurant, hotel, and also end customers. So yeah, clearly I think we are com- we're really close from it. And it's like a one of the big solutions to widely spread and agricultural farming and also to be more inclusive. I think it's a good end of this conversation. I want to thank you so much for your time, for what you're building, obviously, and for coming here to, to share about it and talk about it. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.